Yeah, good morning. And um, as Davy has said, I'm sure that the Lord put something on my heart because last night when I wanted to print off the sermon, it was all gone. <laughs> so uh, that definitely shows that the Lord put something on my heart. And I don't know how the enemy does those things, but the sermon was gone. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, uh, the Lord will give me and gave me, I believe, what he wants all of us to hear this morning. And I think we've already... Uh, so one thing very clearly, whether you like it or not, you are in a battle. And Paul makes it very, very clear. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. No human being is our enemy, but there is an enemy that we fight. The enemy is invisible. He's smarter than you and I. He has more experience than you and I. And whether we are prepared or not, he's going to fight us. Uh, he doesn't care whether that fits your theology. <laughs> he's going to fight you anyway. And if you are not prepared, you will lose the battle. So, if I imagine myself being a general, fighting against a, an enemy army, I want to know at least two things. I want to know, A, where is the enemy? B, how strong is the enemy wherever he is? Because the enemy doesn't use the same strategy for all of us. He knows exactly what your weakness is. He knows what my weakness is. The temptation that will be very good for you might not be good for me to bring me down. So he knows exactly, and we also need to know, we need to be realistic with ourselves. Where are my weaknesses? Where is the enemy going to attack me? Where is he going to be strong? He won't like, mass all his forces for me in the same way that he will mass his forces for you. So you need to know, where is the enemy going to attack me? So that you can seek the Lord's strength in that area. Now, even though the enemy is subtle and sinister... Basically, he only has one weapon, just one. That's deception. That's the only weapon he has. If he can make us believe what he wants us to believe, he's won the battle. When he came to Eve, he couldn't take the fruit and smash it into her mouth. All he could do was, did God really say? Deception came in. And she started to talk with him. Discuss things. How wise we sometimes feel. And we need to consider this. Really? He got you already. So what are the kind of flanks that he's coming from? The one flank that he's coming from is that for temptation to sin. And I will say that especially to the young people, I think the kind of pressure that young people are in today or under is not what it used to be 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I was a teenager. It's not the same anymore. The kind of peer pressure that is there, the kind of uh, drive to pornography that is there today, it wasn't like that 25 years ago. So I want to say especially to the young people two things. One, you need to know the word. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You need to devour God's word because if you don't devour God's word, the enemy will find something to feed you. And that's going to destroy you. And the second thing, you must be filled with the spirit. If you think you can fight the enemy in your own strength, you lost the battle already. There's no way you are going to succeed in fighting the enemy in your own strength. It's not going to happen. It's only going to happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about a one-time experience. Those are wonderful when God gives them to us. But somebody said, yes, I had an experience with God 20 years ago, but I leak. I need to be filled every day. 
And that is true for every single one of us here this morning. We need to be filled every single day. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, literally, trans literally translated, be being filled. Not be filled one time 25 years ago. Yes, I had this marvelous experience. Be the ones that are all the time being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we leak. And so we need to be just like under a waterfall. If, if you are a, a container under a waterfall, even though there's holes all over the waterfall, it will always be full if it's under the waterfall. Because there's just a constant inpouring, so there's no fear that it will ever go dry. And that's what we need to be if we want to succeed in that battle, if we want to win the battle. If we think we can manage on our own, we lost. We lost. And the enemy knows exactly what kind of temptation he needs to bring to each one of us. He knows your weak point. You can hide it from yourself, maybe. You can hide it from others, maybe. You cannot hide it from him. You cannot hide it from the Lord, which is much more important even. But he knows. And he can wait his time. You may feel strong today. He will wait. He will wait. And at just the right time, he'll get you. So you need to be prepared. Be in the Word. Devour the Word for it to feed you. Be filled with the Spirit. Then you can succeed. So that's the one angle he comes from, temptation to sin. He comes from another angle. He presents the world to us as something that is so attractive. So what does the world have to offer? Power, prestige, possessions, positions. That's what he offers. And he, he portrays it as something that is so important to have. No, it is so important how people view you. It is so important to be somebody in society. I remember a couple of years ago, I was listening to a sermon by Francis Chan. And he spoke about Revelations 3, the church in Zardes, where it says, I know your reputation. I know that you have a name to be alive, but you are dead. And that hit me like a stone right here. <laughs> Why? Because as a missionary, you have a reputation. People look at you in a certain way. They think about you in a certain way. And then it's very clear. Jesus says, yes, that's your reputation. That's the name you have. I see something very, very different. It's a dangerous thing. If our perception of ourselves and the perception that Jesus has is not the same, because our perception is deception, his perception is reality. So the question is not, how do other people see me? You can spend your whole life trying to convince people how wonderful you are. <laughs> not for one second will you deceive him. And even if that is what you are busy with, the enemy got you already, because you will not be effective for him. You will not be an effective soldier in God's kingdom, because you are busy with things that build this, the, the, the kingdom of the enemy. God is not building his kingdom in that way. How is God building his kingdom? What does it say about Christ? He humbled himself. He was the one who deserved the throne. And what did he do? He humbled himself. He became a servant. He went lower and lower and lower until in the end he gave his life on the cross. That's the direction Christ went. And if we try to go the other direction, we're fighting against him. We're fighting against his ways. And we're building Satan's kingdom. Whether we like it or not, it's just truth. So
So every day we need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that is offensive to you? Is there anything in my life where I deceive myself? I did that as I prepared the sermon. I said, Lord, I'm going to preach the sermon. Is there anything in my life that you're not pleased with? Anything that's hindering? The Lord pointed out something. Uh, not a big thing, not a sin, but he said, this is hindering you. So I gave it up. That's what we have to do. We have to be very, very sensitive because if we are not, we are on the track of being deceived more and more. It, just a little, I think it's in Ephesians 4 or 5 also, where it says the enemy, he just needs a foothold. Just that, that's enough for him. Just, just a tiny little foothold. That, that's enough. He doesn't need any more. He doesn't need for you to open the door to your heart. That's not what he needs. Just a foothold. That's enough. And he can wait his time. Sooner or later, he's going to come in. So if the Lord has spoken to you about anything in the last couple of days or weeks, you need to take that seriously. Because if you don't, the enemy will get you down. He will. He will. Our only safety is in the shadow of his wings. That's our only safety. If we try to go anywhere else, we lost the battle. He may try, us, try to attack us right from the center. Direct accusations, direct attacks. Sometimes the, the presence of the enemy, we experienced that in Africa once, it's terrible. It's like evil is in the room and you just feel, this is going to kill me. Now, it's not pleasant to experience those things. I don't know whether you have or not. We don't need to be afraid of those things, but the enemy might do that as well. What do we do? James 5, 4 tells us. 4, 5. Submit to God, resist the enemy. And he will do what? He will flee. We submit to God, we acknowledge he is the king of the universe. The enemy is just nothing to him. And then we resist him. And he will flee. And when he comes with accusations, that is why we need to know the word so that we have truth to put against the lies he brings. If you don't know the word, you have nothing to put against the lies he brings. So that is why it's so important. And let me tell you, if you have never read through the New Testament, stop reading any other book you're reading and read through the New Testament. Stop listening to any sermon on YouTube. Just go through the New Testament because that's the undiluted truth. Everything else is muddied water. There are obviously differences to the degree of muddiness, but only this is pure. Why would you want to drink from muddy water when the spring of living water is here? And Jesus says, my words, they are spirit and life. And that is what we need. We need spirit and life. So get it from him directly and not from anywhere else. <clears throat> the chances that you will find something that really builds you are very, very low if you're going to YouTube or to books compared to going to his word. So we may figure these things out, and I'm sure over the next few weeks there will be teachings on those things, and they are very important. But what if the main attack is not coming from any of these directions? What if the attack is not from left, not from right, not from the center, but is actually from behind? And I think that is what Paul addresses in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. And he's really... His heart is stirred for the church in Corinth. You can see that when you read it. 
I'll read it first in the New King James, and then I'll read it in the NASB. He's saying, we can start in... Uh, ...me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you, with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow... As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I believe that is the main line of attack of the enemy. To lead us astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That is how the NASB translates it. It says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The enemy has basically won the battle as soon as our hearts, our minds, are not focused on him anymore. As soon as he reached that, he won the battle. It's just a matter of time. Why? Because just as Paul says here, Jesus is essentially our bridegroom. Now the bridegroom just wants one thing from his bride, and that's undivided love. And so as soon as the enemy manages to get us away from that, the main goal that Jesus has for our lives has been, achieved, uh, has been thwarted. Jesus' main goal for our lives is a heart-to-heart relationship where all of us is available to him so that all of him becomes available to us. That's his goal. And as soon as the enemy manages to thwart us away from that, he won. Because Jesus will not take anything less than your undivided love. And that's in Revelations 2. It's very, very clear. Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus and he, he praises the church. You're doing so many wonderful things. Uh, you found out the false apostles and you didn't believe them and you work hard and you didn't give up and all of those 10 things he lists. But he says, but you've lost your first love. And I, as your lover, will not be content with any of these 10 things. I want your heart. And I will not budge on that. If you don't give me your first love, I will actually come and remove the lampstand. If you don't repent, that's the end. That's what it's like from Christ's perspective. He says, I want you so much that I will not take anything less. I will not take anything else. And I think we need to understand the kind of perspective that Jesus comes from because he said, he said it a few times. He said, for example, if you love father or mother or children or lands or anything more than me, you're not worthy of me. And we can look at it and we can, we can think, oh, that's, that, that's such a harsh statement. It's not. It's the lover saying to the beloved, I want you exclusively for myself. And I will not be satisfied if you separate your love and you divide up your love between me and so many other lovers. I won't have that. Jesus is so worthy that if we think we can divide our love between him and anything else, he says, I'm out of it. I will not share my love with anyone else. I will not share the love that I deserve to receive from you with anything else. If that is the way you want to go, 
I'm not part of it. And we can see in the intensity with which Paul writes, he, he grasps it. It's like Jesus is, is wooing his bride and he's wooing you and me. If there are things that have directed you away from Christ, he's wooing you back this morning. He will not let you go on in your own ways. He's wooing you. He's crying out from the depths of his heart. He's saying, come back to me with your whole heart. It doesn't matter what the issue is in your life. I can fix it. I can resolve anything. But I must have your heart. I will not be content with anything else. I gave everything for you. I gave my life. I want you. I want you. Fully. And exclusively. For myself. That's when he will reveal his love to us. I think many Christians are dissatisfied and discontent because they feel, I want to experience God's love in a deeper way. God wants you to experience his love in a deeper way as well. But he doesn't do it in a situation of spiritual adultery. He waits for you to come out of that to really fully come to him. And that's when he will reveal his love. If we look at this, how the NASB puts it, the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ, there's basically two groups of people. The one group really gets it, and the other group often doesn't. And the one group that gets it is children. It's amazing. Over the last couple of months, Alex and I, we uh, babysat for different people and their children. Uh, the one girl said this. She received a collector's album for coins. Alex and her talked about it. And so she was like, but why do people collect coins? And so Alex explained, yeah, well, some people, they want to have a treasure and they want to be special and they maybe even collect gold coins or whatever and then they have them. And they f she said, but God is our treasure. Simplicity. Another child, uh, she was saying to her mom, I've really grown up now. I'm a big girl because I can cross by myself from our house over to the other side of the road and come back again. Then she said this, but to God, I don't want to make myself great. To him, I want to make myself small because I want to get to know him better. That's simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. She understood the condition to get to know God is humility. She's four. <laughs> She got it. And then here we are as adults, and we make things so complicated. Why do we make things so complicated? It's because we are self-centered. When we're focused on Christ, things become very, very simple, as we see with the children. As soon as we become self-centered, everything is difficult. And there's an argument for everything and a counter-argument. And then we're lost in all the arguments and we don't know what is front, what is back, and we're lost. And that's why Jesus says, come back to that simplicity. And he told his disciples even, unless you become like children, there's no way you can enter God's kingdom. You're way too complicated. You need to become like children. What does it look like when there is this simplicity of devotion to Christ? We can see the difference 
in different people. For example, if we compare David and Saul, at a situation where both of them sinned, and looking at it from, from the outside almost, I would say what David has done is worse than what Saul has done. That would be my assessment. David committed first adultery and then murder. In my assessment, that would be a greater sin than Saul, who failed to kill everyone where God had said kill everyone. Because you could still do it. My assessment. Well, that doesn't mean much. But anyway, how does God see the situation? He sees how they react when they are confronted with the issue. How does David react when he is confronted with a sin? It took months. But God in his great love did not allow David to go on in his self-deception because he thought everything is fine, even though he was sick for months. He was sick. We know about it from Psalm 32 and other Psalms. He was sick, but still he felt, well, I'm the king. I can do whatever. It's fine. And God in his great love, he sent Nathan. And he shared the story. You know the story. And in the end, Nathan said, you are the man. How does David react? He reacts, I've sinned against the Lord. Then he writes Psalm, or prays Psalm 51 and writes it down for everyone to see. Why? Because he realizes, he's cut to the heart and he realizes, what have I done to my Lord? That's his only concern. And so Psalm 51, Lord, whatever you do, don't take your spirit away from me. And work in me something new. I must have a clean heart. I must have a clean spirit again. I cannot go on like this. Do something in me, Lord. That's the cry of his heart. Why? Because that's his concern. What between me and him? Then Saul is confronted with a sin. How does he react? Uh, well, um, yes, yes, Samuel. Uh, well, I, I, I guess, well, I sinned, but please come with me and honor me before the people. Saul's concern is, how do the other people see me? If Samuel now just goes away and I stand before the people, they will realize something is wrong. That must not happen. So please, Samuel, come with me and honor me before the people. A very, very different heart attitude. And that is why God reacts so very, very differently. And he restores David, even though there is continuing punishment and discipline, because God says to him from now on, there will be war in your house until the day you die. Discipline. But his love was restored. The relationship was restored. How does God deal with Saul? He withdraws. There's nothing I can do for you. I've rejected you. And outwardly things go still fine. Until in the last battle he feels God is not speaking to him anymore and he goes even to a witch to hear what shall I do. So there we see the, the difference. Even in sin, what is it like to come with a simplicity of heart before the Lord with your sin? And what is it like to come with a complicatedness of self-centeredness? Yeah, but what will other people think and whatever? It doesn't matter what other people think. It really doesn't. We can see the difference in Mary and Judas. Jesus is just a few days before being crucified. And here is Mary, and she, out of the immense love she has for Christ, she takes the most precious thing she has, a bottle of expensive perfume, and she just spends it on him. Because she loves him so much. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Here comes Judas. He sees that. 
his reaction oh no no calculate this money should have been uh, this should have been sold the money given to the poor how many poor we could have fed with all of that money and then it says in John 12 he didn't say that because he cared about the poor he just cared about himself because he was a thief and helped himself to what was put into the bag but the other disciples joined in with him Matthew's gospel tells us and they also accused her no why did you what a waste is anything wasted that is spent on him the answer to that question depends on the attitude of your heart at that point for the other disciples even as well and for Judas the answer was yes it's a waste why because their hearts were not simple to Mary there was not even a question because her heart was just so full of him the best thing i have of course it's for him because i love him so much what does jesus do he sees what's going on he rebukes the disciples and judas and he says to mary what you have done will be told wherever the gospel is preached now just think of that she gave the best she had to christ he used that for the next 2000 years to challenge us how much do i love him that's what jesus can do with a simple heart a pure heart that is full of devotion to christ he can take one instance that compared to the scales of world history is very very insignificant but he can take that and make it a blessing to i don't know probably thousands or millions of people over the next 2000 years we can see the difference in paul and demas paul very clearly said one thing i do i forget everything that's behind and i strain towards the goal what does demas do one of his co-workers he traveled with paul worked with paul experienced miracles preachings whatever all of those things were there and then slowly but surely we don't know when but his heart is drifting it's a dangerous thing for your heart to drift his heart is drifting until paul says near the end of his life demas have le has left me because he fell in love with this present world why did that happen it didn't happen in a moment it happened as he was drifting away from christ and suddenly or slowly rather other things became more attractive money power position influence became attractive to him and he felt yes that's i think what i want as well slowly over the years but in the end he fell away and that is what we need to keep in mind we don't only like it's there's not just one way to miss the haven it's not just if we shipwreck our faith that we miss the haven it's also when we drift that we miss the haven and drifting for sure is much more dangerous than shipwrecking you know okay there's a rock but drifting you don't plan you don't recognize it just happens there's currents that as you think you're going this direction it just slowly pushes you out of the way and so that is where we need to be very very careful and that's the question this morning is your heart undivided in its attention and its devotion to Christ is your love undivided to him because that is the main line of attack of the enemy if he got you there he got you You don't even need to fall into big sin. He got you. And even before you get into any sin, he got you at this point before. Because it's only in this love relationship 
that he fills us with his spirit again and again. It's only in this love relationship that we have the strength to overcome. Why? Because in this love relationship, there's joy. We take joy in him. He takes joy in us. And that gives us strength to overcome. The seriousness of the issue we can see when we look at verse 4. And this may rock your theology, but it's there. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. It's not that having an undivided love for Jesus is so super spiritual and wonderful and whatever. It's the only way to survive. If our heart is open, exactly what happened here can happen to us as well. And Paul is saying, that's, that's what I'm afraid for you, Corinthians. I gave you the truth. I gave you the real Christ. I, you received the Holy Spirit. And now your hearts, they are open. You received another Jesus. You received another gospel. You received another spirit. And you put up well with it. What's going on with you? So this is not, okay, so super spiritual and I want to be strong and whatever. So this is what I want. That's the only way to survive. It's only when our hearts are undivided that there's no entrance points for the enemy. But as soon as our hearts open up to anything, there's entry points. And we're in great danger. Let's pray. Lord, this is serious and it is serious because the battle we are in is not a fake battle. It's not rubber bullets, but it really is about life and death. And so I pray for everyone here who's deceived this morning, who's walking in his own ways and thinking everything is fine. Lord, I pray that you will, by your spirit, have mercy and bring conviction. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what we are in, you are able to put us right. If only we come back to you with our full heart and surrender fresh to you all that is in us. Lord, I pray for those who try to fight the battle in their own strength. They will very quickly come to the end of themselves to realize it's only by the power of your Spirit that we can overcome. And Lord, I want to thank you that even in the midst of the battle, it's not about the enemy. It's about you. And you really are wonderful. We praise you, Lord, that You open your heart to us in a way that, I don't know, I could have never imagined, but this is what you are like. So we praise you for that. Amen.